We serve an awesome God, amen? Oh, come on. We serve an awesome God, amen? Come on, give him a good hand clap of praise this morning. It's exciting to be in the house of God. Hey, y'all give our online family a good hand clap of praise this morning. Online church, we love you. We're glad that you're with us this morning. And we thank you that you are an integral part of what TWBC is and who we're becoming. And man, we are excited as we are in a Stranger Things series right now. And so open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter number 15. Genesis chapter 15 and verse 5 is where we're going to start this morning. And so as you're turning to Genesis chapter 15, I want to throw out a, a plug for Upper Room tonight. 6 p.m. Man, this is a service of encountering God and being activated in your giftings and your callings and, and everything that God has for you. So we're excited to have Upper Room tonight at 6 p.m. And have you ever asked yourself the question, why in the world am I here? Right? Have you ever wondered, why am I even on this earth? Tonight, that's what we're going to explore. We're going to explore that under the, the banner of prophecy because we know there's scriptures out there. That the Bible says where God was talking to Jeremiah, he said, I knew you before I formed you in the womb of your mother. Other verses said, I knew you as, I would, as you are knit together and you are fearfully and wonderfully made. So God has spoken scriptures over your life and in your life to create you to be who you are. But many times Christians struggle because we never come into who we're called to be. Well, I want you to be here tonight at 6 o'clock because that's the topic that we're going into. We're going to have some time of worship and we're going to find in the scriptures where there is a specific word that God spoke over your life before you ever entered this earth before you ever breathed your first breath on this earth he said i knew you before i formed you i knit you together i created you with all your quirks and all your insecurity i created you in every way to create you to be who you are and with that we want to find out who you are and find out how God's calling you to step into who he's called you to be right here in this earth. So we're excited about jumping into um, Upper Room tonight at 6 p.m. So join us as we discover who we're created to be um, uh, tonight. And so as you're looking in your Bibles to Genesis 15, as I said, we're in a Stranger Things series. And you know we're in three services full time now. So I want to encourage you as, as we heard on the announcement. Come on, we got somebody excited about three services. Come on. As we heard on the video announcement, get involved in group life. And group life's as simple as this. Celebrate one and serve one. Come celebrate with us in one service. We're celebrating right now. You're part of a celebration service. But the greatest way to find fulfillment is not celebrating, it's serving. And we want to encourage you, celebrate one service and serve in another service. We've got plenty of opportunities for group life and being able to serve together here on a Sunday morning. You're already here anyway. And wouldn't it be great if you were one of the prayer partners that got to lead somebody to the Lord Jesus Christ because you decided not to just celebrate, but to serve. And so we're excited about you celebrating one and serving one with us. And as we are in a Stranger Things series, the Stranger Things series is a TV show on Netflix, Net, Netflix, Netflix, on Netflix set in the 1980s in a, in a small city in Indiana where a group of young friends witness supernatural forces at work. How many of you know, as believers, we know there's a supernatural side to this life? That's how you got born again. You got born again by the supernatural, not by the natural. 
We're saved by grace through faith. None of that's natural. All that's supernatural. And so with this, we know there's a supernatural side of life. But in this series, they search for answers. And the children unravel a series of extraordinary mysteries. So that's what we're doing in this series. We want to search for answers in the Bible. We want to unravel the mysteries of God's Word. And we want to find out about what God has in store for us. And even though it may seem strange to the physical world, it's not strange to God's world. And so as we discover who God's called us to be and we walk into this series of supernatural, you got to know this thing. You're not that weird. Amen? Take a deep breath. Everybody, you're not that weird. You're not the only one who argued with your spouse on the way to church. Nope. Say amen on that. Come on. All the single people say, I didn't have to. Come on, baby. You're not the only one who struggled with your kids getting ready this morning. You're not the only one, so you're not that weird. And number two is this. You're not the only one with your problem. You're not the only one with your financial struggle. You're not the only one with your marriage struggle. You're not the only one with your kids not wanting to get off the iPad. You're not the only ones when your kids don't even know how to work a washing machine. They know how to do everything on electronics that you don't. Come on, somebody. You know, you're not the only one with your problem. And I do say this with our kids. If you can work an iPad and an Xbox, you can push a button on the washing machine. Start doing your own laundry. Amen. Come on, somebody. No, really, our kids do their own laundry, and they're 10 and 8, okay? Call child slave labor laws, whatever you want to. We call it discipline and accountability and responsibility. And so you're not the only one with your problem. You're not the only one with your greatest struggle that you're going through. And in the body of Christ, if we'll let our guard down quick enough, we'll be able to say, I'm not alone. I'm not that weird. And God's got this because people have had it before and made it through the same circumstance I've gone through. And so you're not that weird, but you do have to realize there is a supernatural side to life. And it's way more than the natural physical world that you operate in. So what I want to start out with this morning in today's question of this service and the title of this morning's message is it's simply this. It's ears that see and eyes that hear. Ears that see and eyes that hear. We're used to saying ears that hear and eyes that see. Ears that see and eyes that hear. And the question that as I start out this morning's message is what if? What if hearing from God has more to do with seeing than the physical act of listening? What if hearing from God has more to do with seeing than the physical action of listening? And in this message, I want to prove this point out that you do truly have ears that can see and eyes that can hear. And in your life, if you have ears that can see and eyes that can hear, God is wanting to show you a bigger picture than you're getting in the natural part of this world. And so as we explore this this morning, I want you to open up to Genesis 15, verse number 5, but I'm going to start in a little bit different place. I'm going to start in Mark and in Matthew, and I'm going to lead you into Genesis 15, because if I don't lead you into Genesis 15 with a profound theological basis for what we're doing this morning, you're going to think having ears that see and eyes that hear is just something Joel made up, and it's not something Joel made up. It's something that was spoken through the prophet Habakkuk, the prophet Isaiah, and Jesus himself was recorded recorded speaking about it in three different gospels matthew mark and luke so in matthew or mark chapter number four verses 10 through 12 he says this to his disciples and when he jesus was alone those around him uh, and those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables and he said to them you have been given the secret 
of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is said in parables, so that, as he quotes the prophet Isaiah, they may indeed see, but not not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Now, that's just a weird story in itself. Jesus came to save the world, but here he says, quoting the prophet Isaiah, if they see and really see what's going on or hear and really understand what's going on, they're going to turn and be forgiven. So I'm speaking to them in parables so they'll see it, but they don't really get it. They'll hear it, but they won't really understand it because if they really heard it and really understood it, they would turn and be saved. What, what, didn't he come for people to be saved? Amen. So this is why you got to read the full account of the scripture and turn over to the gospel of Matthew chapter number 12 when it's the same parable being recorded. But listen to what it says in verse number 13. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is now fulfilled in my saying, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For the people's heart has grown dull and with their ears, they can barely hear and their eyes, they have closed. So the integral part about hearing God is not your physical sight and physical hearing. It's about the manner of your heart. And Jesus says, they don't see what I see or hear what I see or, or hear what I hear. Not because their eyes are bad or their ears are bad. It's because their heart is dull. So Jesus is saying, if you want to see that there's more to this physical world than you're actually seeing, you've got to have a heart adjustment, not an eyesight adjustment. Some of you are wanting to see things from God, but you're not going to your heart for the answers. Some of you are wanting to hear God's voice, but you think it's a hearing problem and not a heart problem. So we listen as I'm going into this. With our eyes, we hear. With our ears, we see. And with our heart, it makes it all possible. <laughs> Y'all are like, that's the weirdest thing ever. <laughs> but it's the spiritual side of the life we live. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the Bible says, pours forth the, forth the wellsprings of life. So out of your heart gives you the ability to see what Jesus sees, hear what Jesus hears, and you'll also begin to see with your ears and hear with your eyes. So as I go into this, I want you to begin to open your eyes and see what God has for you. So I said we're going to talk out of Isaiah, and Jesus quoted Isaiah. So we have Jesus and Isaiah, but Habakkuk says it a little bit different. Habakkuk 2.1 says this, and Habakkuk 2.1 is so pivotal because most people in the church or most religious people or Christians who have been born again for a long time have somewhere in their house Habakkuk 2.2, right? Write the vision down, make it plain so that he who hears it can run with it for the vision waits the appointed time and thus the Lord God will fulfill it and he will not delay, right? Everybody's like, oh yes, we're grateful for our kids. They're going to be fulfilled in time and, and it's your inspiration, but there's a reason Habakkuk 2.2 is Habakkuk 2.1 is, 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 I'm sorry, there's a reason Habakkuk 2.2 is Habakkuk 2.2 because there's a Habakkuk 2 verse 1. And a lot of times we miss verse 1 because we're so excited about writing the vision down. But Habakkuk wrote this, he said, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower to look out and see what God is saying. He didn't say, I'm going to stand on my watchtower and hear what God is saying. I'm going to look out to see what he's saying. Yeah, yeah. 
So he's saying, I got to step out to my place where I'm called. I'm going to take my stand on my watchtower where I'm called to be. And from that position, I'm positioning myself to look out. And when I look out, I'm not just going to hear what he's saying, but I'm going to see what he's saying. That's why in verse 2, it's called vision, not hearing. Come on, somebody. That's good. In Habakkuk 2, 2, he says, write the vision down, not write the hearing down. See, because in the spiritual world, God wants you to do more than just see with your eyes. He wants you to hear with your eyes. Habakkuk said, I got to look out and I'm going to see what God's talking about. That's where we get the term. Do you see what I'm saying? No, I don't see what you're saying. I hear what you're saying, but you want us to get the full picture. Do you see what I'm saying? So in the same passage of scripture, it's right here. He says to look out and see what God will say to me. Now we're going to jump into Genesis chapter 15, verse 5. So now that I've built this up, and hopefully you're realizing that you can hear with your eyes and see with your ears, but it all is a matter of the heart. God wants to show you something out of Genesis 15, verse number 5. And I'm going to read it out of the ESV version, which is my favorite version. But then I'm going to read it out of the Amplified version. The ESV version is my favorite version. The Amplified version is my dad's favorite version. My dad always said, I love to uh, read the uh, Amplified version because I'm hard of hearing. It amplifies it, right? Some of y'all will get that later. It's called Amplified. But as we joke about it, he was being serious about it. He said, I want to read so I can hear better. That doesn't make sense to the earthly mind, but it does make sense to the spirit man. So he always says, I want to read the amplified version because it makes it bigger. It makes it louder. I get more from God out of it. It amplifies it in my reading so my hearing is better. I want your hearing to be amplified in your reading of the scripture. So the Bible says this in Genesis chapter 15 verse 5. And he brought him outside and said, look towards the heaven." And number the stars. And if you are able to number them, he said to him, so shall your offspring be. So Genesis 15 verse 5, this is Abram. And he is known as the father of faith in the Old Testament. Later God in a couple chapters turns his name to Abraham. And he begins to fill all the promises. But when he's speaking to him here, he's still Abram. He hadn't changed his name yet. So when God is speaking to Abram, he's telling him something. And he said, I've got, and he, and he brought him outside the tent and said, look towards the heaven and number the stars. Now, we don't think of this as a weird story we, because we've read it so many times in church. But if God was saying, Tony and Sydney, I have a blessing for your life. But to do it, you got to go outside and start counting how many stars you can count. Most of us would be irritated by God. God, you're God Almighty, just answer my question. <laughs> I always wonder how high in the counting Abram had to get before it set in. <laughs> For Joel, it would be like 2,358, right? Before I got it of what he was trying to say. I wonder what his number of faith was. How many stars did he have to count before faith set in? How many stars did he have to look up and say, one, two, three, four. What was his number of faith before the reality of the creator of heaven and earth called him outside of his canopy of comfort into a place of creation so he could see what God created on the outside of him so he'd have the faith to believe what God was trying to create on the inside of him. See, some of you, God is calling you out of your comfort zone to look at what he's created on the outside of you so you'll have enough faith to believe what he's trying to create on the inside of you. And if you don't ever get outside 
of your tent, as it says in Genesis 15, 5, in the Amplified, it says, And the Lord brought Abram outside, out of his tent, into the night, and said, Look now towards the heaven and count the stars, if you are able to count them. Then he said to him, So numerous shall your descendants be. What canopy is so close to your face that you're missing the creation just outside of it and seeing what God is wanting to create in your life? What things in your life are so comfortable to you that you're willing to stay comfortable but miss the creation of you? See, because this wasn't the creation of a son that God was giving Abram. It was the creation of Abram that God was trying to give Abram. So what area of your life are you so comfortable in, in your tent, that God has to call you outside of your canopy of comfort to get you into creation to see the creation he's trying to bring forth out of you? And realizing this, sometimes your greatest irritation is your greatest opportunity. Your greatest frustration can become your greatest opportunity. And many of us, we look at irritations as just irritations, but not opportunities. But if you'll start looking at your greatest opportunity as your greatest irritation, maybe God can make a creation out of something in you that he's been calling forth all along. And if he's wanting to call it forth all along, what if the thing that's irritating you isn't there to irritate you, but to get you uncomfortable enough that you'll actually get out into what he's calling you to do? See, some of you are already irritated today that tomorrow is Monday. Monday is not your greatest irritation. It's your greatest opportunity. Because you have fresh word from today to bring into your workplace on Monday. But here's why Mondays are so irritating, Everett. Here's why they're so upsetting. Because you walk into Monday with fresh bread and the first thing the devil wants to do is steal your fresh bread from Sunday that you're supposed to bring to the house or to the workplace on Monday. But if he can just upset you enough on Monday... Before you get to the office, he'll know you have left your bread at the house of God yesterday and didn't bring it to the workplace where it belongs today. So if he can steal it before you ever walk into the workplace, that person of irritation who the bread is actually for, it won't ever get to them because you'll leave it in the backseat of your car, mad that somebody else stole your parking place, and it's drizzly and rainy and cold, and I got to get into this workplace, and I'm three minutes late, and the person who annoyed you the most greets you at the front door and says, isn't it a wonderful day? (laughs) Come on, somebody, you know what I'm talking about. And guess what? I'm that irritating person at the door, right? (laughs) So if he can steal your bread from Sunday and make you walk into a workplace without the bread on Monday, your greatest irritation will always stay your greatest irritation. But if you can bring the bread from Sunday, the bread of life that you get today, into your workplace tomorrow morning, your greatest irritation, you'll look it in the face and say, you're now my greatest opportunity for the gospel. So what if your greatest irritation was supposed to become your greatest opportunity? Abram's greatest irritation was he had no child to give all this amazing blessing of God to. I mean, Abram at this point was rich. He had a bunch of stuff. And he wanted somebody to give his stuff to. God didn't need him to have somebody to get his stuff to. God needed to create something in him so he could get his stuff to us, his son Jesus Christ, later. See, we're looking to bring baggage from the past to pass it to the future. God's looking to create something in you now that'll change the future. 
But if we miss it because it's an irritation and not an opportunity, we're never going to find what he's called us to be. So in the canopy of your comfort, or is the canopy of your comfort keeping you from conceiving the creation that's on the inside of you? There's a creation on the inside of every one of you. God put you in this earth for a perfect, specific, pointed reason that only you can accomplish. I've heard that before the pastor. Good. Now your greatest irritation is becoming your greatest opportunity. Right? There's something on the inside of you that you are supposed to conceive and bring into creation because you're here. But is the canopy of your comfort, is it blocking what God is calling you to see in creation? Get outside your tent and look up at the stars so you'll actually have the faith to conceive of what you were created for. What in your life is so comfortable, and I'm going to get back to this point later in the message, and actually I want to say it now, what have we given permission to in our lives that we have become so comfortable with that it actually resides in the place that belongs to God? You'll hear me say that again in this message. What in our life have we given permission to in our lives that resides in our life that you brought into church with you this morning? (laughs) that's sitting right next to you in that seat that resides in the place that actually belongs to God and I want you to think on that just for a minute and so is the canopy of our comfort keeping us from conceiving that which you're called to give birth to God had to bring Abraham out of his tent out of his canopy of comfort so he could see with his ears and hear with his eyes God has to confront his comfort by showing him his creation. What is God confronting in your life that's making you uncomfortable that you've been rebuking the devil, but it's actually God? You're rebuking the coworker, and that's your mission field. Come on, somebody. I don't know why I'm on coworkers this morning. Some of y'all got work issues, I guess. Right? You're calling your kids things you shouldn't call them, but they're actually your greatest mission field. The things that irritate you the most becoming your greatest opportunity. And so what is he calling you out of so he can show you something greater? Listen, the greatest trap in your life, the greatest trap in your life is to have just enough to be comfortable, but not enough to accomplish kingdom. You got just enough to be comfortable, JB. You got just enough to be comfortable, but not enough to accomplish kingdom. So the enemy wants to let you have just enough slack to be comfortable, but never enough slack to accomplish kingdom. So therefore, if we get just enough slack to be comfortable, but never the ability to accomplish kingdom, who wins? So God, many times in our life, will let us be uncomfortable so we realize that we're not establishing kingdom, and it's in our uncomfort, not our comfort, that we establish kingdom. Come on, somebody. That's good. Some of y'all didn't like that. And there's the door. I mean, it's right there. I mean, welcome back. We got three services next Sunday. I'd love for you to be a part of it. I'm not asking you to leave, but I'm telling you, we've got to realize that uncomfortable isn't always a bad thing. Uncomfortable isn't always a devil thing, and it's not always a God thing. Uncomfortable has more or less to do with, are you comfortable in your surroundings? And if we'll not embrace uncomfortable for what it is, we'll never establish the kingdom of God. And so the greatest trap you have is to keep you just comfortable enough, but not have enough to accomplish kingdom. It's like a comfort food. How many of y'all got a comfort food? Right? Everybody's got a comfort food. Right? (laughs) 
a comfort food is the worst thing because it's good enough to get you through the irritation, but it's bad enough that now you're not going to accomplish your weight goals, right? It's good enough to get you through the irritation. It's good enough to get you through the moment. Those kids were horrible today. I'm sitting down with my Rocky Road ice cream, and we're going to talk about how amazing, right? It's good enough to get you through the irritation. But what we don't realize is how detrimental it is to the goals that God has lined out for us in our life. And so at comfort food, it'll, you'll eat just enough to get you through the irritation, not realizing it's keeping you from the happiness that you've been destined for. So the thing you thought was comforting you, it actually traps you in a new realm. Now listen to this. The thing you thought was comforting you is actually trapping you into a new realm called the realm of complaining. Because you never sit down with comfort food and talk about how good life is. You're eating comfort food because you're mad about something and talking about how bad life is. Can I get an amen in the house? Y'all have gone deathly silent on me. I mean, I'm just like. So you eat comfort food to get you through the irritation, not realizing the comfort food is ushering you right into the realm of complaining, which is worse than being in the situation of irritation. Because when you start complaining about it, you're now creating the atmosphere around you that everything is bad, that things are no good, that things aren't right, and that everything is wrong. And I'm going to sit here with my comfort food. I'm going to tell this ice cream how bad that husband of mine is, right? right. Come on, somebody. Oh, husbands, you ain't no better. I'm telling you, you eat five hamburgers, right? Come on. I'm just going to keep eating. It's good. Better my mouth full of something than me saying something. So we just keep eating. Come on, amen. And so with this, the comfort that you're in ushered you into the place of complaining. And complaining is the exact contrary of faith that God wants you to be talking about. I know it's bad. And some of us have gone from a comfort food to a comfort pill. The food didn't get me past the irritation this time, so I'm just going to take a pill that I know will get me past. I'm going from a comfort food to a comfort syringe. I'm going through a comfort food to a comfort of something that I inhale. I'm going from a comfort food to a comfort bottle. Come on, somebody. This is the real world we live in. This is why your greatest irritation must become your greatest opportunity because you're walking into a workplace tomorrow that they only know how to overcome their discomfort with the pills, the bottles, the syringes, and everything else where you're coming in with the life bread of God Almighty saying, I got a better way for you. I've got something better. And so with that, we must begin to watch what God is doing. Listen to what, Paul, or listen to what King David said. He said, create in me. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Create in me a clean heart. Now, remember the story of Abram? God had to draw him out of the canopy into creation so God could actually give him the faith of what he could create out of him. David says something very profound. He says, create in me a clean heart, O God. Now, he prays this prayer because he had just committed adultery with Bathsheba and God and the prophet Nathan came to him and, and he was the repentant and he said, God created me a clean heart. I know I've done wrong. I know I've failed you grossly. I know this is the worst thing ever. God, create in me a clean heart. Notice what David said. 
David was comfortable in his kingdom, sitting in a castle while the rest of his soldiers were at war, and he falls into the place of confusion, thinking that it's okay for him to sleep with another man's wife. See, sometimes your comfort is not for your safety, it's for your sabotage. You're sitting there so comfortable and now you're needing comfort food and you're complaining. You fall into the place of confusion and it ends up causing David to have a murder conspiracy. Do you see the it's two? So when God is calling you out of your canopy of comfort, it's not because he doesn't want you comfortable. He sees complacency, not comfort. And when he sees complacency, not comfort, he knows it's going to lead to confusion and he knows it could lead to a conspiracy that he doesn't even want you going to. And so as David is here, he says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And I'm going to ask you again, what have we given permission to in our lives that we have become so comfortable with that is actually residing in the place of God? What are we so comfortable with that God's not comfortable with? What are we so comfortable with that God says, I don't like that sitting next to you. I want to sit next to you. I don't need that sitting next to you. I need to be next to you. What are we so comfortable with in our life that God is trying to change? Now listen to how David prayed. David did not pray for his comfort to change, but for himself to change. This is so key. See, in church today, when things go wrong, we say, God, change our circumstance because I'm uncomfortable. David didn't pray for his comfort to change. He prayed for his situation. Or he, he, prayed for his, he did not pray for his circumstance to change. He prayed for his heart to change. So when you're so comfortable in your situation and you become uncomfortable, many times we pray for our situation, not our heart. But as we learned in the very first of the message, it's our hearts that are so dull that we're missing what God is saying and what God is uh, trying to show us and what we're supposed to see from him. A lot of times in the kingdom of God, God's speaking and we sound like, and our listening to it sounds like Charlie Brown's teacher. Right? You know you can do a whole sermon series out of Charlie Brown, right? You got Charlie Brown who's like, everything always goes wrong in my life. You're, you're one of those always go wrong people. It never goes right. And everything's wrong. And oh man, but he never gets the girl and all this stuff. You, you got pig pen. What cloud are you always carrying around you? You got this stink and you don't even know it. Come on, somebody. You, you got Linus in his comfort blanket. What step of faith are you not taking because the blanket's got one hand and you're supposed to grab God with it? Come on, somebody. You can preach the whole series. And then we got God talking and he sounds like Charlie Brown's teacher. Wah, 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 wah. Right? Do, do you remember? See, God wants to show you something. But what is sitting next to you that we need to let go of that he wants to be in the place of and he wants to see it happen in your life and David prayed created me a clean heart oh God he didn't say God change my situation he said change me because many times we know that we cause our situation and if God doesn't change us before he changes our situation we're going to fall catastrophically short of what he's called us to be the fact of the matter is, the more we pray, pray God change our situation before we pray God change me, if he did change our situation and we stepped into it, the success of it would be so short-lived because our character hasn't changed. 
See, some of you are wanting to be, get, a, get a, some kind of a promotion, for lack of better sense, from God. But God won't take you where your character won't sustain you. He's more concerned about my character than my comfort. And I got to be more concerned about my character than my comfort. And so in this, David didn't pray for his comfort to change, but for himself to change. He knew that if God changed his situation without changing his soul, the success of getting out of the situation would fail. So what or who have we run to for comfort that is keeping us from our Creator? If you've been in church for any length of time, you've heard this said about King David, that he's a man after God's own heart. Fill it in for me. He's a man after God's own heart. So if we always say David is a man after God's own heart, many people, theologians and everything, attribute that to the ability that he had to worship. The ability that he had to write psalms. The ability that he had to sing. The ability and the anointing that came upon him when he played the harp in front of King Saul and King Saul still tried to kill him. Come on. Many people attribute that to his worship, but I, I, I agree with it, but I think it falls drastically incomplete of what made King David a man after God's own heart. See, I believe what made King David a man after God's own heart, it is someone who has heard him, but is willing to wait on him, especially in the absence of comfort, not in the abundance of it. I'm going to say it again. What made King David a man after God's own heart is what he had the ability to hear him, but was still willing to wait on him, especially in the absence of comfort, not in the abundance of comfort. See, when David was anointed king by King Saul, he still had 20 years to go before he got to the throne. And it wasn't, in the abs- it wasn't in the abundance of comfort that he became a man after God's own heart. It was in the absence of comfort that he became a man after God's own heart. And many of us are wanting the abundance of comfort, but still be a man or woman after God's own heart. When God's saying it's only in the absence of the comfort, will you become like I want you to become? Because in that you'll seek me, not just serve me. See, God wants us to serve him for sure. But if serving is the pinnacle of it and not seeking him to become like him, then we miss him altogether. Listen to what happened with Jesus. If Jesus would have sought safety, it would have sabotaged the cross. In the moment of his greatest discomfort, he didn't say, God, take me off the cross. He said, God, forgive them while I'm on the cross. See, some of your greatest irritations and your greatest uh, frustrations and your greatest lack of comfort is your greatest opportunity. And if we don't have eyes that hear and ears that see what God is actually doing in a heart that is fulfilled of what God is calling us to do we're going to miss what God has actually set before us as an opportunity thinking it's an irritation if Jesus would have sought safety he would have sabotaged the cross but because he was willing to get out of the canopy of his comfort meaning the cross itself we know this the Bible says for God did not send Jesus into the world to condemn it but in order that the world might be saved through him The earth wasn't saved through his comfort. It was saved through his discomfort. And my question is, are you willing to get out from under your canopy of comfort and step into God's creation and count as high as you have to count and number the stars in the sky so you'll get a view of the creator, then you'll be able to see what he's trying to create in you. But if you never get out from whatever you're under, you'll never see the creator and his creation 
for what he's going to create out of your life I don't know about you but I'm okay to be uncomfortable as long as I know he's creating something and with God nothing is ever wasted but how you use what you're going through will greatly show will you step into what he's created you to be I'm gonna ask for everybody to stand this morning as you're in the house this morning here's my one prayer Jesus left the comfort and went to the cross and when he went to the cross it was with you in mind and with me in mind and he said with this the world is no longer condemned but if you'll receive Jesus Christ you'll be saved for those of you who are not saved this morning I want you to go to a prayer partner that are all around the room and they want to pray with you for some of you this morning you've been wondering why life is so uncomfortable well what if your greatest irritation is now setting you up for your greatest opportunity I want you to go to a prayer partner and begin to pray God give me ears that see and eyes that hear and a heart that's fully awake to know what you're calling me into and if God is calling you this morning to take the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ you can line up between section 1 and 2 but the purpose of this morning's message is for one thing for you to see God clearly for you to hear him clearly and know his plan for your life I want you to go and I want you to pray with somebody this morning here we go in three two altars are open once you begin to move pray with somebody this morning